Welcome to the Wolfhounds Podcast from the DMZ and beyond. Hear stories, memories, and more from the Vietnam veterans who served faithfully in Vietnam. You've never heard Vietnam like this. Welcome to the microphone, your host. Did this guy even serve? Tim Quintrell. What's happening, everybody? Thanks for joining us again here on the Wolfhounds podcast. Your host, Tim Quintrell. I am so honored to be here in the driver's seat today, but right next to me, riding shotgun, John, Big John Quintrell. What's up, John? Hey, we're broadcasting live and direct from Helena, Montana. It, we've got a sunny day here, Tim, and it's 73 degrees as we're talking to you. Yeah, and we've a- got Moose. We've got Moose Molenhauer, my buddy who I served with in Vietnam. We've got him on, on today. And I'm looking forward to uh, having a little discussion with him about our time in Vietnam. So you served in Vietnam, 1968, 1969. You wrote a book about it and uh, about your, you were there to the day, uh, one year of service. And Moose was one of the special friends, uh, veteran. Thank you so much, Moose, for joining the podcast today. And thank you so much for your service. Thank you for being such a great son and, uh, and an honor to be with you. We're going to we're going to copy what you just said and we're going to play that over every episode. I love that. That's good. Uh, <laughs> so so dad, I'm going to I'm going to turn you loose for a couple minutes and then I've got a couple questions for Moose, but give us a little history about your friendship with Moose that's lasted over 50 years here and tell us where you guys first met. Well, we we first met and we were at Crockett Fire Support Base and Moose came into the platoon. And he was a replacement for some of the guys that we had lost. And I remember specifically one of, one of my favorite memories of Vietnam is that I was able to pawn off my M79 duper with a, a huge uh, rucksack full of rounds to Moose. And I got his M16 in, in exchange. And it actually turned out that uh, it, it wasn't such a bad trade because Moose actually carried that M79, I think the rest of his tour. And it turned out that he was a much, much better, uh, M79 operator than I was. Well, thanks for the compliment. So, well, it's, it's true. <laughs> so, uh, what, so let's go back. What is So you guys have these terms like a duper. What is a duper? Go ahead, Moose. It's a 40 millimeter grenade launcher. A single shot has uh, multiple kinds of rounds, uh, uh, high explosive and shotgun rounds and star clusters, smoke rounds. It's just kind of an all-around weapon. And I, I maybe it was crazy, but I enjoyed walking point with it because I had a lot of firepower there. And, and you say star cluster. What's a star cluster do? It, it lights up like in, when you uh, have an ambush. When you need illumination and you can't get it from the artillery, you have a little uh, white phosphorus found that shoots up three pellets of white phosphorus into the sky, and it'll light the area up. That, uh, sound, that, sounds, like, that sounds like a good wake-up call. <laughs> sounds pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, what, uh, Moose, do you remember... Uh, you guys served together. What are some of your uh, 
I want to I want to ask you a question about maybe uh, some memories from the war. Do you remember one of the first uh, firefights you guys ever got in? Yes, I do. Right there at Crockett, uh, we were up by Laterite pits on an ambush patrol, and I think Big John was on another squad, but I was on an L-shaped part of the ambush, and uh, we spotted eight or nine uh, Vietnamese coming at us that night. Managed to uh, disassemble them, for a better word. And uh, that next morning, then, uh, 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 Blackwood and, and uh, Colonel Odie came out uh, with their helicopter. That was probably one of the first ones that I really remember. Uh, and that morning, John had confiscated or picked up one of the uh, AK-47s, and he was sitting on an anthill. We were waiting for the for the brass to come in and. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, he hadn't unloaded that uh, AK-47 and hit the wrong spot on it, and it fired a couple of times, and we were all <laughs> down immediately. <laughs> so, what when you say so, you were in a firefight, and the brass came in. What you you made mention of a couple of guys coming in on a helicopter. Why in the world would they want to come in after a battle? Well, what this, was the purpose? This next morning. Yeah, why would they want to show up there? What were they doing there? Well, uh, I guess a uh, press review, probably. I don't know. But uh, they wanted to come out and, I think, probably congratulate us on what we'd done. Because we'd been, apparently, I wasn't on the country a week at that time, or with the platoon a week. And uh, they had been trying to stop this uh, coming out of the, right into that little city that was right there. Uh, we had more than one incidents where they were were uh, passing us and uh, we just couldn't couldn't do anything to them. Hmm. But uh, or, hey, or whatever, that night it worked. Hey, Moose, if you'll recall, usually when the brass came out the next morning, they wanted to get their pictures taken with the dead bodies. Remember that? Yep. Yeah. I didn't want to say it was a photo op, but that's what it is. <laughs> well, well, you know, and, you and know, part I, of the part of this podcast, guys, is this is a this is kind of a go behind the curtain. Uh, a lot of stuff wasn't talked about, and a lot of veterans to this day refuse to talk about things in their service, good, bad, and ugly. And you know, we we have to call a spade a spade. If that's what they were doing, that's what they were doing. And unfortunately, um, as we've ha- you know now. I've uh, had the privilege. I've I've sat through over a hundred interviews with vets, and one thing I heard that a lot of guys did was they tried to punch their own ticket. They tried to get promotions and that, and uh, that sounds like yeah. that could have been what was going on. Yep. So, well, yeah. So, and us punching our own ticket might have been a uh, chance to go from an E four to an E five, and that's probably about as far as you get in a year. Yeah, and th- these uh, these officers. A lot of them were the upper upper echelon, the majors and above, and, yeah. and basically, I think what they what they were doing is they'd come out and they'd get their pictures taken, and I always imagined in my mind that they would take and send those home, and and tell whoever they were sending them to that they were involved in this big firefight and look at how many you know gooks I killed and so forth. And yeah. the amazing part, Tim, is I always hoped that whoever was looking at those pictures would notice that those officers were in, in with spit shine combat boots and freshly 
broken starch uniforms, yeah. which, you know, which is just the, the opposite of what we looked like, of course. Boy, that's telling a whole different story. So you guys, um, there's a certain story, Moose, that I wanted to bring up that uh, has a little bit of humor in the in the despair of Vietnam, and that's the fact that um, you had uh, latrine duty. And uh, <laughs> tell me about what it was like to have latrine duty. Well, it was just one of those things that you got stuck with once in a while, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this was before I got to Crockett. Uh, John Cook and I were new in country waiting to get sent to a unit, waiting for our dispatch orders. We got called on this latrine duty, and uh, it happened to be raining like mad, and we couldn't get these barrels lit with diesel fuel. So, so the so the barrels had, I guess, fecal <laughs> crap in it. Yeah. <laughs> and and so your job was to pour diesel fuel on the the piles of crap and burn it up. Burn it up, and then put the barrels back under the outhouse again. And, and for whatever reason, that get it going. So I went over to uh, an ammunition building that was just a little ways away, and I got a gallon of JP four jet fuel. Now wait a minute. Did, now wait a minute. Did you just say that you got jet fuel? You, like you just went and took it. Like I can't go to the store and buy jet fuel today. So you went over and found some jet fuel and decided you were gonna kickstart the yeah, kickstart the fire. So <laughs> I poured this stuff in there, and about that time, it was right at supper time, five thirty-six o'clock. Uh oh. A first had come out of the headquarters bunker, and this guy, well, he was an E-8 or an E-9, one or the other, but he was marching across the area there in a poncho with his cigar hanging out of his mouth, and Uh-oh. he headed for it. And uh, these mortars were walking right down the street, main street of this area that we were in. And John and I said, well, we don't have weapons. We don't have anything. We've been in country maybe 72 hours. I don't know. Not mm-hmm, long. Mm-hmm. But we headed for the nearest bunker. We put cans back under the outhouse, and we headed for the nearest bunker. And the last thing I can remember is turning around in the door of that bunker, and here's Top standing there with his pants around his ankles and took the last drag on that cigar and fired it in the hole next to him. Oh, no. The whole, the whole area just disappeared. <laughs> now, long story short, <laughs> maybe October, at very earliest, the first week in October, and I didn't get hurt until February, and I didn't get back to the States of Fitzsimmons Hospital until April. And this guy unbeknownst to me, and I was blind at this time, is telling this story, laying in a bed about four beds away from me, and he's telling this story about he got blew out of off the face with a mortar. You're kidding. And, you know, he's living the dream with his war story and whatnot. And I thought, well, I don't dare say anything because I'm, I'm new here and <laughs> I don't know what's going on and I can't see what's going on. And I'm, my thought in the back of my head is, I don't dare say anything about this to straighten this guy out on that thing because I'll lose all my benefits. Wow. 
You know, well, and, and, and Moose, re- remember, you got to tell people you were in the debridement area. In other words, they were treating burn patients, right? Well, I was, yeah, I was burned. And so, and so, you can imagine where they were debrading him. Okay, so, oh, yeah. so, so, first <laughs> of all, I'm going to throw a penalty flag. Uh, there's no using vocabulary that you're not going to tell the definition, but we got to pull the brakes. We'll be right back in just a moment with more of the Wolfhounds podcast. You want more of the Wolfhounds? Check them out on the web at www.wolfhoundssecond27th.org. You can also follow the Wolfhounds on Facebook, Wolfhounds Second 27th. You want more? Go see over 100 interviews with Vietnam veterans who faithfully serve their country at youtube.com. Look up the Wolfhounds Forever channel. Now back to the show. All right, welcome back. Wolfhounds Podcast, thanks for being a part. This is episode two, season one. We are so excited you're here. So right at the break, we brought up an interesting word called debradement. And uh, I said, you know, no using words that are above our pay grade. And so we're going to back up. And Moose, thanks again. We've got Moose Mollenhauer, Bob, big Moose Mollenhauer with us from Minnesota. And uh, I just want to go back, Moose, to your worst day in Vietnam. I want you to share with us your single worst day in Vietnam. I. You mentioned that I got hurt, and I don't think, well, other than the fact that I got, that was probably the worst day. The worst day, I think, was the day that that uh, we got pinned down in the river. John and I and, and uh, Ray. I think, like, Ray was there. There was 10 or 12 of us that crossed this river. We were supposed to rift this area out, and uh, we got pinned down. We got We got shot at and the only place out was to jump in the river and we spent most of that day in that river with uh, at, at one particular time we had small arms fire i had to move because the muzzle flash of an ak-47 was burning my eyes and uh, spent that whole day as i remember it, or the biggest share of that day in that river and uh was nothing we could i uh I was firing my M79 right straight in the air trying to knock these guys off of this berm that was only maybe 10 feet away. And you were using, you were launching those things like a mortar. Absolutely, straight up and straight down. The only windage, <laughs> the only windage I had in that thing was the rifling in the barrel. Yeah. And you guys, uh, I remember that there was a soldier that uh, – you guys had a line set up across there. Is that correct? And you guys were kind of trying to navigate your way across. And one of the men fell and went underwater and you guys thought it was uh, Katie bar the door for him. Correct. Yeah, we did. He was loaded pretty heavy. And then uh, of course we haven't got this far yet in, in the season, but uh, we'll come back to it in depth. But John, uh, big John, you went down and, and uh, saved him and rescued him. And he's here today. Thanks to, thanks to your bravery. And- that was Bobby Noel, by the way. That he was uh, uh, an lieutenant's RTO at that time, and yep. it was kind of a crazy deal because we'd never done this before. We'd never had him drop a raft off and put yep. a guy in a raft and and have him pull himself across the river. And uh, uh, so you got to imagine Bobby was halfway across the river when they opened up on us. So he, I mean, he was. They had him dead to rights. 
And basically what he did when the bullet strafed right next to the raft, he, he just rolled out of the raft. Yep. And, of course, he had no time to get the radio off, so he went straight to the bottom. And that was probably panic instinct. I mean, that was probably just survival instinct oh, yeah. kicking in. Yeah, you guys were put in some very interesting situations. So, uh, Bob, I want to I want to bring uh, – go ahead. What were you going to say? I say interesting is not the word. Yeah, horrifying is probably more – you know, young young people <laughs> like myself – uh, we've got a young man that uh, goes to our church, and he's in uh, basic training right now, and and he's sent back some uh, reports of the struggle and difficulties, and and you know we've talked in our first episode just about what has to happen in basic training. When they say jump, you don't question it's it's how high. So right. you're you're conditioned to do what you're told when you're told and how how to do it. Except if you're Larry Lemire, uh, you you get your own strategy and we'll talk about Larry later. <laughs> but uh, I want, I want to talk about your injury. Now I want to open this up by, first of all, I think, I think it's time that we held John accountable for uh, despicable uh, actions in Branson several years ago. This was so offensive. I'm surprised you even came to another reunion. Uh, he had uh, conjured and went to, some nefarious website and found an eye with the guts of what would be behind the eye and floating in a jar of saline. And he had the guts, yeah. he had the guts to present that to you and say that he found the eyeball that they <laughs> tore out of your skull in Vietnam. And he's had it preserved all these years. I mean, oh. how, 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 Tell, tell us about your injury in Vietnam and how you got to the place where uh, you had to have surgeries and restoration and all that. Well, we'd gone in that day to pull out, I believe, the 101st uh, Long Range Patrol that got pinned down, and, and several of the guys were killed and several were wounded. And uh, we went in at the Walker Point, but we, we ended up, I think. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I think Bill Waskin was the first guy to spot these fellows. And anyway, we hmm. we were there most of the day in that situation, uh, pinned down under heavy fire, and the, the cobras came in and the smoke came in. And we finally attacked these guys and had to pull back up on some high ground, probably quick away. And and the uh, they called for lift ships to get us out of there and we couldn't get any shoppers in that night but they did manage to bring us out of a chinook with wire and sandbags so we built the perimeter right on top of that hill and i don't know i guess we got done at midnight maybe at night and uh was not long after we got set up at midnight uh kind of in a at least a half shape per perimeter uh, that they started in on us again with uh, all kinds of heavy fire and mortars and RPGs, 51 caliber. Uh, and in the, in the midst of all that, I was trying to get a guy that was probably 100 feet away from me with uh, that was firing uh, RPGs, and he kept missing a little bit of a makeshift bunker that Russell and I had hit behind. I was outside and Russ was behind with a 90 recoil was up on the roof. And, uh, anyway, 
very short. He finally hit that bunker, and that's when Russ occurred. Beyond that, I don't remember the choppers. I don't think I was on the first load. I think there was quite a few guys got hurt that night. Uh, and then I spent, I don't know, a couple of weeks in the 12th Hospital and probably a month in the 25th Hospital before I got shipped out of Vietnam. So let, let's there, go, let's go back. You you talked about a ninety recoilless. What is what is that? It's a like a stovepipe, but it's ninety millimeter. Uh, fires the again a, a several different kinds of rounds: bi rounds, shotgun rounds, uh, high explosive, and uh, one of the littlest guys in the platoon, Russ Bruns, carried that thing for as long as I can remember. And I think he carried like maybe four or five rounds for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And sometimes uh, one of the guys in the platoon would carry a couple more, but most of the time that was his limit of ammunition. And uh, so the guy that kept missing you guys, was he firing like a grenade launcher or what was he firing? Firing RPGs. Oh, my goodness. Tunnel. So he, so he kept, he, how many RPGs before the one that landed, he, you said he was a hundred feet away? Yeah, about a hundred feet away. How many guess. do you think he fired on you guys before he actually hit the, his target? Well, I had enough time to fire probably 40, 79 rounds at him <laughs> and I didn't have access. 16 or I could have taken him out in seconds, but he was that close. I mean, and I, when they fired loom over us, I mean, he stood out just like he was walking down the street. Basically. Oh my gosh. Uh, he'd jump up, get up on one knee and fire an RPG and he'd fall right over and get down. And, but, uh, with the 79, by the time you find out where he's at and get zeroed in on him, uh, he's already back to the ground again. But I I fired a lot of rounds to that individual and never did never did get him. So that RPG connects. You and Russ, are you blown through the air? Are you knocked over off your feet? What I mean, do you did anyone ever tell you their version of, of that day in your life of what happened? I don't think exactly anybody thought. I was outside of the bunker. I had dug myself a little foxhole. And I was sitting in that foxhole firing the 79 because I didn't want to be in that bunker because I knew that's what was going to happen as RPGs were coming in. And Russ was behind it, and that's kind of a normal state of position for that weapon. He was sitting on the ground or laying on the ground behind that little bunker, and the 90 was mounted or set on top of it, and that's where he was firing from. And that RPG came in and hit right on the corner of the bunker, right where I was at, probably, I don't know if I was even 10 feet away from it. And uh, at that time, I just lost everything. I was, I was able to talk to Doc or holler for Doc. But that's, and at, that's that, and at that time, was that Doc Flores? No, that was Doc Turner. Doc Turner was there. Okay, so at that time, you yelled for Doc. And then you're going in and out of consciousness, is that correct? I would guess, yeah. I, I remember, and I couldn't see. I mean, I was instantly blind, and I think Russ was too. 
Wow. Russ and I were, I were at Fitzsimmons Hospital for probably six, eight months. Well, Moose, listen, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Unfortunately, that's the time we have for this episode. Thank you, John and Moose, for being a part of the podcast for us. And thank you, folks, for listening in. Just remember one thing. Once a wolfhound, always a wolfhound. And wolfhounds forever. God bless you. We'll see you next time. You want more of the wolfhounds? Go to the wolfhounds website wolfhoundsecond27th.org Join us on YouTube for over 100 interviews Keywords, Wolfhounds Forever Until next time Remember this The freedom of this great nation was built on the blood, sweat, tears and graves of those brave men and women who served and served this country well Thanks to all our Wolfhounds brothers and sisters Nek Espera Tarrant Thank you